<clears throat> this is day three of this January 2024 seven-day Rohatsu Sashin. And I'm going to read again to this morning from teachings of a Buddhist monk by Ajahn Sumedho. going to uh, take up a chapter entitled One Inhalation. He says, the mental world is so powerful and strong and our minds get so confused that we get carried away by emotions or by the appearances of things. We really need to establish a point that we can use for meditation, such as our breathing. We're always breathing wherever we are, whether in a quiet place or in Piccadilly Circus. <clears throat> of course, he's, he's in England now, and Piccadilly Circus is in, in London. I think sort of a busy place, somewhat like Times Square in New York. <clears throat> so even if we cannot stay anywhere for very long, at least we can stop the mind wandering and being pulled into everything going on around us. We may not yet get really good concentration in a place like Piccadilly Circus, but at least we can stop ourselves from being attracted to or repelled by extreme sensory impingements. We can bring our attention to the inhalation and the exhalation of the breath. Such a basic meditation practice. According to the accounts, the Buddha, underneath the bow tree when he came to his great awakening, was following the breath. Take this up as beginners. It's usually the first practice that's given to us and often return to it later in our practice. But as we'll see, there are a lot of misunderstandings about breath practice. He says, some people assume that the purpose of mindfulness of breathing is in order to get higher levels of concentration. We should note, however, that the assumptions we make about this practice are just assumptions. The practice itself is as it is. It is for nobody. It is for its own reward as it is. When we are with the breath, our minds are not thinking about other things, so we are just with the breath. And if we keep with the breath, then our minds will calm down. Breathing, just ordinary breathing, is a calming kind of rhythm. It tranquilizes. So mindfulness of breathing is, in itself, its own reward. It's a hard point for us to get. Everything we do has to have a purpose. And it has to be evaluated on the basis of how well it delivers. What am I getting out of it? The heart of practice 
is giving ourselves with no demand for return. As long as there's a demand for some sort of return, we're not completely giving ourselves, not giving ourselves over. Mother Teresa said at one point, God did not call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. Our demands that we be successful are a burden that we carry. It can be a motivation. We can think about what might happen, how our lives might change, and those may, those may come true <laughs> once we stop making those demands. He says, we may not realize that each moment with the breath is a tranquil one, and so, get, so tend to get caught up in trying to acquire something in trying to get more from it than it can offer us. <clears throat> so we miss the actual result as it is happening. This is human ignorance. We expect something so we are unaware of what really happens. Such a basic point. Our expectations cover up reality. We don't see people because of our opinions about them. See it clearly in Sashin, not so much with people, although you can notice you have attitudes about people as you notice walking by them in Keenin. Why why do we why do we burden ourselves with that? Everyone is as they are. Everything is as it is. Instead, we fight reality. As the saying goes, I fought the law and the law won. This is human ignorance. We expect something so we are unaware of what really happens. The minute we stop expecting something, everything opens up. Then we can see. It's like that Anthony DeMello uh, story about the difference between a dog trainer and a scientist studying ants. The dog trainer has tricks he wants to introduce. He's got a purpose, an agenda. Scientist studying ants just wants to know more about them. Just going in with interest. It says, now if we just contemplate what an inhalation is like, we shall see that it is not exciting, thrilling, interesting, or fascinating. But neither is it painful, repulsive, or unpleasant. We shall probably consider it to be boring because we tend to demand a high level 
of interest and excitement from everything in life. We tend to regard something that is neutral to be boring, but it is not really boring. If something is interesting, it means it holds our attention. If we're reading a book and it interests us, we just sit there, we can hardly tear ourselves away. We don't want to answer the telephone, don't want to talk to anybody. We just want to remain absorbed in that fascinating, interesting book. If we're reading a boring book, on the other hand, then we'll use every excuse there is to get away from it. The telephone rings, we gladly get up and answer it. The milkman comes, we run to the door, try to chat to him a bit. I don't know how many milkmen come to people's doors anymore. I guess England is a different country. If it is boring, there is nothing to hold our attention, so our attention will go to anything, even to things more boring than the book. To get away from one boring thing, we go to another boring thing. Certainly is a good description of a lot of the thoughts that run through our minds when we're deflecting from practice. Tedious is a good word. Trivial. It's chasing after excitement. As we say nowadays, chasing after dopamine. It's the power of the, the smartphone, the iPhone, offering us something new. And if you don't like that, there's something new. And if you don't like that, there's something new. <clears throat> An hour goes by, two hours go by. says, we try to make life interesting, interesting friends, interesting things to think about, interesting things to do. I'm not criticizing. I'm just pointing out that we spend much of our lives in search of interest. Of course, it's a natural thing to do. And when something is no longer interesting, then we tend to reject it. If a friend is going through a bad time, say, and he is pretty boring and uninteresting, we tend not to want to be bothered with him. When he is fascinating and scintillating, we enjoy his company because it keeps us interested. But then when he gets boring again, we just want to get away. Mindfulness of breathing is not interesting, and we do not need to make it such. An inhalation is just that, an inhalation. If we say it is interesting or boring, these are judgments we make according to our moods. But in itself, it is just suchness. It is just the way it is. Of course, that's true about our entire life. Everything is just the way it is. We bring the interest. It's not to say... Don't misunderstand. I don't believe that he is saying that you should be manfully bored with your breath practice. The fact of the matter is, as you become absorbed in anything, then something arises, an interest arises, a joy arises, which is which 
we have all the time, which is there. But when our modus operandi is to seek out excitement, then boredom arises. It's not flashy enough. When we reflect in this way, then an inhalation is just that way, and an exhalation is just that way. And when we are not demanding that they be otherwise, or looking for something more than there is, more than is there, then our attitudes are developing in the right direction. So we can use just this one thing, this one practice of mindfulness of breathing, for concentration, for reflection, for understanding, for understanding the way things really are, for understanding why the world is the way it is. Why is the world the way it is? Why is there so much contention, divisiveness, quarreling, and ingratitude? Everything is divided into groups, factions, individuals, each demanding all kinds of things from themselves and from others. We get confusion and depression when people's minds operate on that level. It is winter. The snow is on the ground. And here at Amaravati, we have certain emergency situations when the water mains burst. Don't have that happen here. It says, but that is not what happens all the time, is it? Even though yesterday I began to think it was. Sitting here, it is just the way it is. Most of our lives are not incredibly exciting or interesting. They are just ordinary, just the way they are. Walking from here to the dormitories, sitting in meditation, getting up, lighting incense sticks, going to the loo, (laughs) definitely in Britain, doing some work, eating the meal, and so forth. The day goes on like that. Whether we like it or not depends on whether we are inspired or expecting a lot or whether we are fed up. If we are fed up, then we can make a big scene. Washing dishes, for example. If we're really inspired and really want to work for the welfare of the community, then we go at the dishes with all the energy that comes from love and inspiration. But when we're fed up and do not care anymore, then the rotation comes up and we do the dishes. We do it, but with no love at all. Get there late, break a dish, do not clean up very well. But actually, washing the dishes is just as it is, isn't it? There's nothing overly pleasant or unpleasant about it. It's just the way washing dishes is. Beyond that, we can make anything out of it. Whether we love or hate to do the dishes is something we create, something we superimpose onto the actual event. The same with inhalation or an exhalation. It is just that way. If we try to get high by thinking, I'm going to wash these dishes because of my great love for the monks, nuns, and community, and because this is the greatest place in the world. Then inevitably we'll go to the other extreme. But when we can just move towards the way it happens to be, washing dishes, cleaning the room, walking from here to the dormitory, sitting in meditation, watching the breath, that is all right. And then the extreme situations, like a water main bursting, is also just the way it is. 
But if we are not expecting any interference in our lives and we are sitting there and then someone comes up and says, the water mains burst, I think, damn it. Damn it. The water mains burst. They're interfering with my meditation. This is a meditation retreat and the water mains burst and it's interfering with my tranquility. (laughs) I am feeling that water mains should somehow only burst when I am not on retreat. You know, the one session that I heard of that ever had to be canceled, um, I think it was in Chicago, the story from long ago, and uh, <laughs> the, uh, the drain got stopped up. That's the big pipe, the big pipe going down through the building, delivering <clears throat> what we don't want to deal with from the toilet. That was a, that was a showstopper. When they do burst, therefore, it is frustrating. It seems like a kind of plot against me, to give me a bad time. Actually, of course, whether the water main bursts when I am on retreat or not is still just the way it is. We can always have a place for whatever happens because it is never something that should not happen. This is, this is so simple and obvious. Everything happens because of causes and conditions. But we don't see it that way. Certain things shouldn't happen. And it's hard to argue with someone who really feels that way because certain things are horrific. Certain things are suffering, terrible cruelty. But that's the way they are. We have to deal with life as it is, life on life's terms. our practice isn't going to somehow make us bulletproof from all the things that can go wrong all of us subject to death and decay misfortune illness everything can be fine all of a sudden we're on a gurney heading to the hospital Through wise reflection, we need not suffer from any turn of events. If we adapt wisely to situations in life, then we do not create the conditions for unnecessary misery or for pain on top of pain. As the Buddha said, the second dart. If you're shot by an arrow or a dart, that's one kind of pain. And then when you're upset about it, Why did this happen to me? How could anyone do that? How careless? Or was it deliberate? Then we're adding a new level of pain. Why do my legs have to hurt? They just hurt. Simple pain and complicated pain. Two different beasts. Simple pain is bad enough. He says there is always going to be a certain amount of natural suffering, of course, from having been born as a human being. Birth, 
growing up, sickness, old age, and death, these are the results of having been born as a human being. The body, the seasons of the years, such things cannot satisfy us. When we contemplate them and meditate on them, however, then we can be at peace with them. But then there is also the suffering which we create. If I'm sitting here thinking, damn it, it's snowing again. It's blasted English winters. I want to go to South Africa with venerable Anando. <laughs> I imagine an Ajahn in South Africa. Probably have them there. Now that is something I've created right now just sitting here. I'm not contemplating. I'm just reacting. It's snowing again, blast it. If I contemplate, however, I can be peaceful. White snow on a bleak landscape is calming to the mind. I can look out there and contemplate. It is quite tranquilizing. It does not excite. It is not a stimulating landscape. It is all quite colorless and subdued, quiet, silent. If, on the other hand, we want interesting, fascinating lifestyles, we might find this all a bit boring. We think how boring it is. White snow, few colors, no leaves on the trees, no flowers in the garden, just kind of colorless shades, sepia tones. And then we think, remember those beautiful, fascinating gardens in Borneo, wild colors of orange and red and yellow, beautiful parrots in the trees, flamingos, And then immediately we are sitting here in the middle of an English winter and there are no flamingos. We are creating suffering because we are thinking about something that is not here and resenting the fact. Now, as contemplators of life, we have to open up to this sepia-toned, bleak English winter just like the inhalation and the exhalation. I saw a film on an airplane, Flashdance. It's an old movie. It was the story of a lady. Whenever she heard a certain kind of music, her whole body started going all over the place, no matter where she was. If she heard this music, (laughs) she just started leaping into the air. That kind of music can excite the mind, but mindfulness of breathing will not do that. It is a different kind of rhythm. I'm not saying excitement is bad. Do not misunderstand me. I'm saying that that is what it is like. Mindfulness of breathing, however, is a tranquilizing, slow rhythm. And it is something we do not make up. We do not create it. Now, if we are not feeling tranquil throughout this mindfulness of breathing, it is because we are expecting more from it than it can give us. We do not understand it yet. We're not really giving ourselves to it. We're just using it to get some state that we want. But when we start reflecting that mindfulness is just about being with an inhalation, just being with an exhalation, then it is its own reward. And we could also say, then it is something we can easily do. When we get out of the business of creating an effect, when that's not our job, meditation is so much easier. Don't have to twist ourselves into shapes. Don't have to ride herd. The only thing we have to pay attention to is, am I with the breathing? Am I with the koan? Am I with my practice? Whatever it is. 
or are by wandering off in expectations and thoughts and criticisms. And when we notice, there it is, back immediately. It's not like we have to build it up all of a sudden. We have to recreate what we painfully built up by thinking the right thoughts and looking the right way. It's just a breath. In and out. We're back. Remember reading somewhere that uh, Joko Beck, uh, when she found her mind scattered, would just listen to the sound of car tires on the street outside her place. Just really, really focus on that. Don't have to do anything with it. Just give yourself to simple awareness. Again, reflecting that mindfulness is just being with an inhalation, just being with an exhalation, and then it is its own reward. While we are concentrating on that, being aware of it, our minds for that moment are calm, even though our bodies may not be. But the more we calm the mind, the more the body calms. The body demands a lot of patience. We all know this. From just little things like this, Tremendous wisdom arises in our lives. We could spend 30 years reading philosophy at Oxford University. We could read Bertrand Russell and all that. The head would be chock-a-block full of ideas, views, and opinions. The brain would be bursting with information. I would say, watch your breath. You would say, can't be bothered, a waste of time. I'm writing an important paper for an important journal. If we look in the university archives we shall see all the doctoral theses that have been written over the past 100 years, all the hard work that has gone into writing those things and the headaches and the anxiety, and a lot of it is worthless. Now, we do not get PhDs for watching the breath. If I wanted to write a doctoral thesis on one inhalation, (laughs) they would say, don't be facetious. Can't give you a PhD for that. There are whole racks, stacks of PhD theses in university libraries. Saw my mother's there once, wrote her PhD on uh, John Keats, the, the English poet. I don't know if that was ever read. If we find ourselves being overwhelmed by things in life, we can just take the time to use mindfulness of breathing. We should not use it to try to get out of things, but just as a place to compose ourselves. So some exciting, difficult situation is happening around us, one inhalation. For that moment, at least, 
We can compose ourselves. We need not be whirled away by things that happen. It's a very useful thing to do, very skillful. It does take practice, however. We have to put forth the effort into going towards that mindfulness because it is not interesting enough to attract us. Exciting rhythms will attract us, but not mindfulness of breathing. That is just the way it is. It does not attract, but it can tranquilize. Then when we realize the result, get good results from mindfulness of breathing, then we shall find it attractive, then we shall want to do it, then we would rather do that than go to that crazy rhythm. We can absolutely fall in love with our breath. I have people tell me that. I love the breath. That's a wonderful thing. But we need to start with just the bare breath. We can can have an awareness practice, just looking into our own awareness, working with a koan, can be exhilarating. But if we come to the mat trying to get that exhilaration going, then we're going about it the wrong way. It needs to come unbidden. The real thing doesn't come through our manipulation. There's no question. If we sit faithfully, the mind changes. Change that we didn't make happen, but it changes reliably. Everybody right now is different than we were when we began Sashin, and when we get to the end, it'll be even more. Even more quiet. Even more clarity. Sometimes that quiet and clarity isn't obvious to us, because we have thoughts running across the mind, or maybe we've run into discouragement or some other obstacle. But it can't help stripping away our habits, our habits of mind. When people first come to practice, they're usually a little thrown by the fact that they can't control their mind. Thoughts are just teeming. They never had that problem before. They were just riding along on a wave of thoughts, tubing down the river. Now they've decided to focus on one thing, to give themselves to the breath. All of a sudden, that river is a real obstacle. It takes a good deal of stick to and understanding understanding why it makes sense. And even when we understand, we still forget. It says the mind can get scattered and dull, but just 15 minutes, say, of concentrating on the breath can sharpen it up again. We can see where we tend to lose the mind. It is where it wanders. Then we can put forth a special effort to really hold the mind to an inhalation, to an exhalation. And he says, and that is a suppression of other things. We are suppressing all other sensory impingement 
in order to concentrate on one sensory impingement. But that is not an end in itself. It is merely a skillful means. When we say suppressing, uh, we don't mean we're suppressing thoughts, trying to make no thoughts come into the mind. What we're, what we're working with is our uh, unconscious tendency to run with anything that pops into the mind. We're ch- our normal chasing after excitement, whether it's really exciting or not. We can also listen to the sound of silence, and we can do that at the same time as being mindful of breathing. Now, if we notice when our minds wander, we will no longer hear the sound of silence. We forget about it and go off into thoughts and moods. When our minds wander, there are ways of bringing our attention back to the moment. We can, however, become attached to ideas about these ways, the idea of emptiness, for example, or the idea of bringing ourselves back to the moment. Any idea we attach to will take us to doubt again. People say, bring yourself back to the moment. But that can become a fixation, an obsession, rather than a skillful composing of the mind. We are very keen on attaching to techniques, words, ideas, or anything, We tend to say, give me the formula, give me the technique, give me the magic word, as if there was one magic word or one technique which is going to do everything for us. We should note that opinions that arise if any of these things become compulsive. We may tell ourselves to let go, let go, and then we find ourselves using it for anything and everything, It becomes just a perfunctory, habitual statement. Something goes wrong, one of the buildings catches fire, we say, let go, and don't bother to report it because reporting a fire might mean we're attached to the idea of fire. That is the ultimate absurdity. Well, that's a pretty ridiculous example. But but we we can become enamored of just be in the now. Just open up. Anything we say is a pointer, but it's not a, it's not a rule. We can't use it as a technique. Awareness can't be a technique. Just have to notice when we're not present and come back. Sincerity is not a technique. Devotion It's not a technique. Sometimes these things can help a little bit. It can be a reminder. You have to do the work. At Chithurst, he says, there used that was the uh, monastery he founded before this one he's speaking from in this book. At Chithurst, there used to be the watch your mind habit. We would say, watch your mind. It was a way of saying, shut up. Something would go wrong in the kitchen. Somebody would get upset and say, watch your mind. They were not watching theirs, obviously. And yet all these things are skillful means, watching the mind and letting go. Letting go of the house on fire does not mean we should not do anything about it. 
It does not mean we just pretend it does not exist. That would be impossible. It would be foolish to do. We let go of fire by following the insight into doing what is appropriate at that moment. Some people do not know the difference between mindfulness and concentration. They concentrate on what they are doing, thinking that is being mindful. Really are these two different kinds of, we could call them both concentration, I suppose. There's one pointed concentration, and then there's a lantern awareness. We need both. The Buddha said those are two wings of the bird. We need concentration to delve deeply into our practice, but we need mindfulness to know when we've gone off on a tangent. Otherwise, we have no idea. You see people after a session, they have so much concentration, and they can just go off on a tangent, chattering away with no thought of what they're doing, what they're saying. It's just fun. A certain amount of that is okay. but to recollect, to know where we are and what we're doing. Seems boring, but it's so foundational. It says, I knew someone once who was always complaining about other people not being mindful. He would be absorbed in what he was doing, and then perhaps someone would go and ask him a question And he would blow up, have a temper tantrum. Now he could concentrate. We can concentrate on what we are doing, but if we are not mindful at the same time, with the ability to reflect on the moment, then if somebody interferes with our concentration, we may blow up, get carried away by anger, and being frustrated. If we are mindful, we are aware of the tendency to first concentrate and then feel anger when something interferes with that concentration. With mindfulness, We can concentrate when it is appropriate to do so and not concentrate when it is appropriate not to do so. Reflecting is being mindful. A lot of people have the idea that we shouldn't waste time in reflection, but that's that's ridiculous. It's good to reflect on what we're doing, what results we're getting. That person who keeps walking into a wall and needs to turn right or left, first thing that has to happen is to reflect. I seem to keep walking into the wall. Notice. Notice our patterns. Uh, My son's natural father... Uh, our friend Ernie uh, was uh, lived with many different women. <laughs> and uh, at some point he said, I know it's something I do because they all say the same thing, which I thought was great. He still didn't know what it was, <laughs> but there's that recognition. If everybody is complaining, there's something there to start My wife was very fond of him, but she just could not live with him.
He says, reflecting is bringing into consciousness the way things are. We are sitting here. We're aware of our intentions. We are aware of what is going on and what is happening inside ourselves. We are aware of anything influencing us, like a feeling of anger with somebody. We observe any feelings of resistance. Sometimes, sometimes we do not want to do something. We observe it all. This is mindfulness, being aware of the forces that are being experienced externally and internally, emotionally and physically. <clears throat> it's also awareness of the body, noticing the feelings of anxiety that come up, feelings of resistance. When we notice them, it's easier to just go ahead and do what we need to do. When the first reaction to some sort of <clears throat> painful sensation is to run away from it, sometimes we don't even know we're having it. We've pushed it out of, out of our mind because it's painful. And so we don't change our behavior. <clears throat> that That dreadful feeling, that feeling of uh, doom is a messenger. Somebody said it's like a compassionate alarm clock telling us you're lost in the dream. Wake up. Hear the morning wake up mock talk. Doesn't matter whether we hate it or love it. All we need to do is get up. Go to Keenheen. Everything follows one after another. Really isn't a problem. If we do that, if we if we give ourselves to what we've decided to do, then a joy can arise. Then it's wonderful. Doing Keenheen walking to meals, sitting down on the mat, running to Doksan. It all can be joyful when we're not demanding that it be a certain way. When we've stopped mucking everything up. We're human beings, it's really, really hard not to muck things up. It's what we were taught. Uh, We come into this, uh, into our adulthood with all these habits of protecting ourselves, getting what we need, what we feel we need. Uh, Those are deeply, deeply ingrained. But slowly, through this practice, some of these slough off, rub away. Wonderful to do this work. Suffering has meaning when we're changing. We change when we stop grasping, we stop avoiding. Takes practice, years and years of practice. Then we look back, we're thankful that we did what we didn't want to do. We'll stop here and recite the four vows.